This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand on the air. Welcome to Headscarves and Good Yarns with me, Amal Abdullahi. The show is all about talking about race, diversity, and everything in between, all in the hopes of empowering a more empathetic Aotearoa. We talk about all these huge life things through the lens of people's lives and stories. I hope every yarn you take a wee gem from it and expands your heart and mind just a wee bit more. Kia ora, Welcome to another episode of Headscarves and Good Yarns. I'm super, super excited to um, introduce this chat with Pax. Um, even now while I'm sitting here and recording this, I just remembered how inspired I was um, recording with him. He is hilarious. Like, <laughs> I, was, I was cracking up um, during the recording, but he also delivers some home truths and comforts and some facts um straight up facts on facts on facts so um i'm super super excited to introduce this chat um if you're wondering well tell us a little bit more about pax um pax is a comedian he started in 2012 and a year after that was nominated for a billy t award and since then has just gone strength and strength um winning multiple um awards um, and nominated for some pretty amazing awards too. Um, and then he began writing for a TV series, Brown Eye, in 2015, a writer and host on the sketch comedy series Only in Aotearoa. Um, and he's part of the comedy trio Freaking Dangerous Bro. Um, Asadi's been a writer and guest on Seven Days and The Project. Um, and co-stars in his own sitcom, Raised by Refugees, which is, yeah, this show, I was so, as a person who is a person of colour and a migrant, this show really resonated with me. Um, and his latest project is co-hosting The Bake Off. So, yeah, he's awesome. He's done so many things and, um, you know, he'll introduce himself later in the show as well. But sit tight, get a cup of tea and enjoy this corridor because, yeah, Pax is amazing. Awesome. Kia ora, Pax. Um, thank you so much for being on the show. It's super exciting to be, um, to have you here um, and to have a corridor with you. Um I feel like I could give you a really dramatic introduction because you are amazing comedian. You've won a couple of awards here and there, but actually I would love to hand it over to you um, uh-huh. to introduce yourself um, in whatever way you feel comfortable. Who who are you, Pax? <laughs> um oh wow, no one's ever no one's ever given me the the reins to to introduce myself. Um this is a new experience for me. Also, part of me is like, is she just doing this to like lighten her load as far as a, a, a podcast <laughs> um, host is concerned? Yeah, you're she seeing like, through right through me. That is yeah, exactly yeah. it. Hey, you do some of my job. <laughs> I haven't done my research, you know, so I'm just like, I'm going to get it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, I just, you know, I'm such a huge fan. I've watched everything you've done, but why don't you talk about it? <laughs> why don't you just run us through? Not because I haven't watched anything. I've watched everything, but I just love you to talk about it. <laughs> You just, you um, would honor it way better, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm Pax um 31 year old father and husband um, who started stand up comedy uh, as a 19 year old. 
um, in Auckland City is at the at the Classic Comedy Club, and have I would say um, dedicated my life to the craft of comedy, um, and kind of just been grinding it out for the last 10, 11 years. Um, and yeah, son of refugees uh of Pakistani and Iranian descent and yeah someone who's just interested in making and crafting and creating interesting work that is funny but also challenging um and also heartwarming and also sometimes just silly and goofy um yeah what a beautiful way to introduce introduce yourself I always love handing it over to other people to do that because it's so interesting to hear like no we know why you love it we know why you love it (laughs) but it's just so interesting to hear what comes first you know what how you like to paint yourself and and Uh I suppose in a way it's almost like how do you see yourself yeah Um, and talking about comedy and also talking about how you were just saying before there's this this fun and this humor but also really challenging as well is that mm-hmm. the reason why you got into comedy in the first place or what uh, kind of drew you to kind that? of kind of it, it wasn't the the whole reason why I got into comedy um I I honestly got into comedy because as a um teenager growing up in a predominantly white society you know um it was more of a defense mechanism for me, to be honest. It was more of a way in which I figured out how to traverse um, societal pressures and social structures and kind of popular, like levels of popularity and all that kind of stuff. I used it as 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 a weapon in that way. Um, so comedy was, yeah, it was a tool more than anything for me, and I only discovered. I only discovered its ability to to start conversations and be challenging kind of later when I had already begun comedy. But the reason I became a comedian is because, you know, when I was 16, 17, I had really started to, you know, identify as a funny person because, you know, like, uh, you know, when you're getting made fun of or when you're the other and, and people, you know, kind of target you, being funny is a way to get people off your back. And so I started to realize that not only does it get people off my back, but it also, you know, allows me to form friendships and all that kind of stuff. And then I um, came across Russell Peters on YouTube. And I don't know if you know who Russell Peters is. No, I was just about to ask, who, who is that human? So Russell Peters, how old are you? Um, I'm, 20, I'm turning 28 this year. Okay. So Russell Peters is a stand-up comedian, very talented stand-up comedian, who was kind of one of the first stand-up comedians to blow up online. He was kind of the first person to take advantage of YouTube and actually become famous off YouTube. So, like, he was a he was a really talented comedian who probably had a relatively medium to small audience and then put some stuff online and it exploded and then he became a global sensation overnight. And still to this day will tour the world and sell out gigantic theaters all over the world still in 2022 so i saw russell peters for the first time as like a 16 year old and it was the first time i realized that being funny could be your job simultaneously while i was figuring out how to be funny at high school so it all just clicked right and i decided i wanted to be a stand-up and then 
at 19, I did my first gig at the comedy club, but, but learning that comedy can actually move culture forward and create conversations was something that I realized maybe when I was like 21, 22, a little bit later. I love how you stumbled onto that power by accident, but now mm. that you've stumbled upon it, you've really, really harnessed it because honestly watching your work, I'm like, oh, wow, like it's so healing. Like as a fellow oh, person wow, of colour, I'm like laughing, but I'm also being healed at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Oh, thank <laughs> you. That's really, really I'm watching um... When I'm watching your content and actually yeah. one thought that came up in my head when you asked me who Russell Peters was. Yeah. Growing up, I don't know, just the way that our life was when you're whether you're a refugee or whether you're a migrant like I feel like you're always grinding my parents were always grinding and things like comedy and like anything to do with the arts essentially my parents were like it's not valuable like we've got work to do yeah it's not until artists like you that actually point out how relevant it is Mm. so I don't know who people like Russell Peters is but I know Mm. you because Mm. I Mm. see you and like the Mm. work that you do um Mm. so that's yeah it's so so important it's so so important and um I love how yeah it just makes sense that's how you got into into comedy and Mm. And I think people really struggle with having conversations like if you just come in into these conversations about you know, racism or sexism mm. or mm. that kind of thing. Like me, I come into it and I'm hated <laughs> and I'm mm. hated. And I can understand mm. that would that would shy people off. But when you mm. kind of weave it in with that humor, you're actually really inviting people to sit with it. Um, and I'd love to hear from you, like what kind of responses do you get to your content that make you think like, ah, this is this is why that I, this is why mm. I do it. Mm. It's interesting. Yeah, like, you're totally right. You're you're bang on, like, having conversations that that are void of anything light or anything comedic, especially in the society we live in today, which is very fragmented now, um, walls can go up really quickly. But it's kind of like giving medicine, you know, when a kid doesn't want to take medicine and you mix it in with honey and then the kid will take the medicine. It's kind of like that. Like you're having conversations that are challenging and hard, but you're encapsulating it in in humor, which just makes it so much more palatable for, I don't know, a white middle-aged man who you might be criticizing. And you're not, it's so interesting. You're not criticizing the individual, you know, the white middle-aged man who's in your show. You're not criticizing that individual, but that individual can feel attacked when they are, part of the group that you're that you're talking about but if you if you capsule it in a way that makes them laugh and joyful then of course they're gonna the 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 arms that are crossed they're gonna open up a little bit and and they're gonna actually listen and go oh okay this is this is the thing that they're talking about and sometimes it's even just subconscious like they don't even realize that the concept is going into their head they're just laughing but the 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 effect of the concept might take effect years later you know, when like, say, you know, this, this person is, is actually an employer at a company or something. And I've done a joke about how it's hard to get a job if you have an ethnic name. And I've just made them laugh about this concept of, of it being impossible to get a job if you have a brown name. And then years down the track, that, that idea might just pop back into their head and they might remember that time that I did that bit. And they might actually go, you know what, I'm going to give this guy who has a long ethnic name an interview and I'm not going to push it to the side. Um, 
and sometimes it's a long game like that um but also the other the other thing that um makes me realize or makes me go oh yeah this is why i'm doing it is just the idea of representation it's not always mm-hmm. about it's not always about changing people's minds it 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 is about that a lot of the time but sometimes it's just about being a comedian who's brown like even if you're just doing silly stuff if you're just doing stuff that isn't trying to start conversations and it's just funny point blank and that's it that is also important because the idea of representation is so important you know like uh, i did a gig and a, and a fijian indian woman came up to me and said that her nine-year-old son has a picture of me on his wall and that's like that's one of those moments where you go like, oh man, that's that's crazy because this nine-year-old kid probably doesn't care that much about the messages I'm trying to explore. He just cares about the fact that there's a guy who has the same skin tone as him and likes similar things that he likes doing comedy on television, you know? Like that's all he really cares about is that there's someone who looks like him that's doing a thing that he loves and maybe he wants to be that when he grows up maybe he doesn't but that's not the point the point is that it's a representation that that people that look like him can do whatever they want to do right they can be a comedian that we don't all have to be doctors and accountants and pharmacists you know what i mean like we can do so many different things um and sometimes that's the biggest thing that i draw from or that's the biggest thing that reminds me of like what the purpose is Absolutely. I was showing um, my younger siblings the, there was like this funny video of you talking about like brown privilege. Yeah. Um, and that was hilarious. And they were laughing and laughing. Yeah. I also like, they didn't verbally say it because they're teenagers. Yeah. Verbal communication is not their yeah, strong yeah, point. Yeah. But you yeah, could just yeah, yeah. tell that they were like, I feel seen. Yeah. Like, this yeah. guy is up here laughing about stuff that like we laugh about and talk about all the yeah. time. And there's yeah. just like not that many spaces. And so representation is just so important. Yeah. Um, yeah, totally. And like, you've brought up what it's like being in the comedy space and, mm. you know, it, I'm not intimately in the comedy space, but, I'm assuming that like anything else, like all the other systems that we interact with, that it is white centered. And I would love to unpack that with you a little bit more. Um, Mm. You know, how does that make you feel? What would you wish would change about the comedy space? um, So it isn't so white centered and actually, you know, honors and reflects the diversity that is here in Aotearoa. You know, it's, it's, in, in all honesty, it's actually changing quite rapidly. You know, like, I don't, I don't know if you noticed, but um, recently I did a stand-up show that was filmed for television and all 11 comedians on the lineup were brown comedians. Um, 10 years ago, when I started stand-up, that would have been impossible. Like, there, was, there would have been no way I would have been able to find 10 brown comedians who were all good stand-up comics. You know what I mean? Or experienced stand-up comics. Um and that's huge. Like that's a huge change in in the comedy industry as a whole. Uh, but yeah, it is still like quite white centric, and I and and it is still a lot of the decision makers are still white people. Um, but I think I think one of the things that that um, 
needs to change or not change but one of the things that will have you know the biggest implication on the environment is the idea that that brown people start to do more and more complex things because the more complexity we try and strive for the more we then are able to be qualified to be the decision makers who can then have real implication and change. Like I, I just encourage every kind of person who is of a diverse background to engage in a craft and, but to, you know, endeavor to excel at that craft because that's the only time you actually get in positions where you're now making decisions and can have, and can affect meaningful change. Um, because like at the end of the day, it's unfortunate and it's and it's kind of annoying, but the pressure on on people from diverse backgrounds is much higher. There's a much oh, there's, there's much slimmer margin of error, and there's a and there's much stronger scrutiny when we screw up. But but that's the only way that we can we can actually break through and make that change. Right, is to push through that scrutiny, is to take on that scrutiny and try and get so good that no one can question you anymore um it's a game in getting it's a game in reaching a level where you just become undeniable right like they can deny you for so long and then when you get to a certain point of skill and craft you just become undeniable but that takes that takes time that takes dedication and that take that takes hard work and 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 it takes a lot of striving you know but it's possible and and you know, at the end of the day, it seems annoying because it seems like a really long-term thing, but it's the only thing I can really think of. I've reflected on this a lot, and it's the only mm -hmm. thing I can think of that will actually have meaningful change. If, you know, we want, as brown people, we want to be put in positions where we get to do big things, complex things. We want to make decisions. We want to do all these things straight away off the bat. But we have to understand that, like, we can, as a community, we could be shooting ourselves in the foot. There is a real value in like putting, like grinding and putting in the work and becoming so excellent at your craft that when we get to those places where decisions are made and we're put and and not only decisions, but put into those places where we're, we're, we're doing big things. When that happens, we don't drop, we don't fumble the bag. We don't drop the ball. You know, we, we actually make, we, we stick the landing and the change becomes so much more meaningful and so much more powerful. And there's no, no one can say, see, we shouldn't have like, look, maybe, maybe they aren't as good as they say they are. No one's going to say that verbally. No one's going to consciously say that, but the, the kind of collective thought process doesn't get to happen. If you know what I mean? Um, yeah, and it's just like if you look, you know, if you look at um, what's a great example? Um, you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, maybe, maybe me. Like I've, you know, I've been a stand-up for eleven years, and now I'm getting the opportunities to, you know, have my own sitcom and host my own stand-up television show and all this stuff. But it takes a long time, and now I'm at a point where like you can get me to be the host of the Bake Off. I'm a brown person is yeah, the host yeah. of the Great Kiwi Bake Off, the whitest show on the planet. <laughs> you know so what I mean? Accurate. The Great Kiwi yeah. Bake Off is the whitest <laughs> show on the planet and I'm the host of it. And and if, you know, like the margin of error for me is so slim on a show like that. But I trust myself. I know I've put in the work. I know I've grinded for this long and I know how skilled I am and how good I am at my craft. And if you gave me this show six years ago, 
maybe I would have fumbled the bag and maybe I would have ruined it for all of us. Not completely ruined it, but, you know, a slight detriment to all of us, you know? Um, so, yeah, like, it, yeah, again, like, it seems annoying that it's such a long-term thing, but I, I think that that's the only way to have big, meaningful culture-shifting change. You're so right. I think you have got to get to a point point where you know the game so well that you can play it. And when you can play yeah. it, you can change it. Yeah. But Absolutely. play it well. Play it well. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I did see um, that you're hosting the Great Bake Off show. And I was like, get yeah. it, Pax. I love yeah, that yeah, so yeah. much. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're so right. You're so right. Um, I remember, like, I never really understood that burden or like that burden of you know having a yeah. very little room for error and just yeah. being so excellent like growing up I always saw that as a burden yeah. um, but we don't have that privilege of being complicated and nuanced and you know like for example this is not related to comedy at all but you know that national MP who recently had all that the bullying stuff come out yeah, and yeah, yeah, it was yeah. portrayed as like a mistake and everyone can make mistakes and then when I think back to I don't know how long ago it was but that green MP who yeah. can confess that she wasn't 100% honest so she could yes. get enough benefit to even yeah. get by yeah she's out of there absolutely dragged through the mud yeah yeah absolutely yeah, dragged yeah. through the mud yeah and it's it's so like stuck as like day and night. We just yeah. we you're so right. We really don't get the room to make mistakes, but we've just got to keep going, keep honing our craft, whatever yeah. it may be. Yeah, it doesn't have yeah, to yeah. be what our parents want it to be. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but whatever it is, it's so important that we just keep going. Um, oh man, you're so 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 right and so um wise um but are there moments or days where you're like this is really hard or this is this is too much um and i i just can't do this anymore have there been moments uh, like that for you thankfully no thankfully i i haven't come across moments where i i want to give up i have wanted to give up for other reasons like um mm-hmm. or very early in my career you know you don't make a lot of money as a stand-up um, and I felt, I felt there was a time where I felt really selfish that I was doing this because I was putting my family through this, you know, mm-hmm. me trying to traverse this comedy landscape and become a successful comedian. It can be hard on your family. So I, you know, I've, I've, I've contemplated giving up for things like that, those kinds of reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, but n- I've never, I've never, you know, I've never been pushed to the brink because of the difficulty of being a brown comedian. Thankfully, you know. I've always relished in the work. I've always relished in the grind. I've always relished in the, in the developing of the craft. Like, mm-hmm. um, and that, you know, I, I know a lot of, I know a, a bunch of people who, you know, to, for them, fame and fortune is the goal, mm-hmm. but that was never the goal for me. You know, the, I love being a comedian and I love like crafting. I love the process of writing a bit of stand up, and there's every chance that this bit of stand up sucks. And I love that feeling of like not knowing whether it's good or not and going on stage and realizing it's not good or maybe it is, you know, good or, or whatever. And, and, but spending the next three months trying to figure out how to make it as good as possible and going on stages constantly, you know, and like working on it. I love that feeling. So, and I think maybe, you know, my immigrant childhood or my immigrant, you know, life growing up contributed to that because 
you know, my parents didn't want me to be a comedian. Like it was probably one of the saddest days of their life when I told them I wanted to be a comedian, but, mm-hmm. but their, their lessons and hard work and hustle and like whatever you do, being the best, best at that, you know, like the being as good as you can possibly be and never settling for mediocre really helped in this, in this world, this harsh kind of entertainment world that can chew you up and spit you out because their lessons kind of made me and and helped me to kind of really enjoy just the grind and the hustle of it all. Um, And sometimes it can be, it can be not great because I am a bit of a workaholic and, and obsessed with my craft, but yeah, it's really, it's really served me in that way. Yeah, I think you're so, yeah, you're so right. We have this sense of resilience because life yeah. hasn't been so easy and you literally yeah. do have to grind if you want to survive, if you want to thrive. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, I, I totally, totally relate to that. I'd love to circle back to that comment that you made about um, when you told your parents that you wanted to be a comedian, that it was yeah. the saddest day of their life. Yeah. <laughs> there have yeah, definitely been some unorthodox decisions that I've made and my parents have been so, so upset about it yeah, like yeah, yeah. So what is your background about it um so I'm studying now and even me studying at this yeah. age have yeah. made my parents so upset because they're yeah, like oh yeah, no yeah, you should yeah, be yeah. thinking about kids blah 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 yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. you know even my husband they were so upset with me yeah at, at the beginning they love Arthur now but yeah. they were so upset with me being with a Chinese Malaysian yeah man. right um and that was probably one of the saddest days of their life as well who, um, what did they who did they want you to marry oh a fellow Somali person same oh, right, right. background of course, of same course. I think if they wanted it, even same tribe <laughs> yeah 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 of course um, but that yeah that clearly didn't happen and so even going through that journey together has been so interesting but I'd love to hear from you like what do your parents think of your your comedy now and um yeah how do they see it you think from their point of view um yeah it was it was yeah like you know you probably are well aware you know when your parents are when your dad's like a refuge from a refugee background you know they leave their country because their country is no longer safe. But not only that, they don't have, their country doesn't provide them opportunities to do what they want to do. You know, like my dad being a Baha'i, um, a member of the Baha'i faith and, and Iran being a extremist Islamic regime that decided that Baha'is were the ones that they were going to target. Um, meant that he couldn't go to university, just basic stuff like university, you know, and you know, uh, you know, communities around him getting brainwashed by, you know, this crazy regime to hate Baha'is as well. So it was hard to get a job and like all this kind of basic stuff. Um, so when he comes to New Zealand and the doors are wide open to do whatever you want to do, you can become a doctor, you can become a scientist, you can become, you know, all these really respected jobs that are stable and, and you know, guarantee income and guarantee respect and guarantee all these things and then your son says I want to be a comedian which to him is saying I want to be a clown um (laughs) I can understand the pain I can understand the frustration you know um so I don't blame him I don't I'm not mad at my parents for it I'm not I'm not mad at them for for feeling that frustration because I get it I understand you know but now they're okay. Now they're good. Now they're supportive, especially my mom. My dad's very supportive as well. It's taken time. It's taken a long time, you know, and it's taken a lot of success. 
you know it's funny you go to work you go to work tr- triple 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 overtime to impress the white people and then also triple overtime to impress your brown parents like from every angle <laughs> you have to work harder than everybody else to try and achieve the approval of all of these groups um uh but yeah they're cool but yeah like i i understand like how ridiculous is it to come to this country and and your son can can get a phd if he wants and he says i want to do stand-up comedy which isn't even a thing to them they don't even understand the concept of it um so yeah it's it's it was hard but you know, the thing that they don't understand is that, and they do now, but back then when they were really upset, the thing that they didn't quite grasp was that they came to this country not so I could be a doctor or a lawyer. They came to this country so that their sons, yeah, I have a brother, that their sons could have the freedom to achieve whatever they wanted to achieve. You know, that's what they came here for. And not not so that we could become doctors. If we wanted to become doctors, that's great because that's what we wanted to achieve. But you know, neither my brother, you know, my brother's a a, a, a visual artist and a and a designer and a musician. You know, like wow. so, my parents landed two artists, which is like they're like, <laughs> damn it! Like, can we return one of them and try again? Yeah, like, not even at least one doctor. Oh. Not one, not one, <laughs> not even one nurse. Not even one, you know, like nothing. Not a pharmacist, nothing. Not an architect, <laughs> just just two artists. So yeah, my Maybe parents. Maybe this is like, why my parents had eight. They're like, it's a numbers game. Yeah, hey, hey, it totally <laughs> is a numbers game. My parents screwed up by having two. Um, is anyone a doctor in your family? No, but we've got a pharmacist. There you go. That's something. <laughs> yeah, that's something. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, yeah, it, it is a numbers game. So, but yeah, they they the thing that they understand now, but they didn't back then was that, yeah, you came here to give, you know, and you worked your ass off having two jobs and, and driving taxis and dealing with, you know, drunk people on like Saturday nights and like, you know, being from a Baha'i background, very, you know, very, a lot of shared beliefs with Islam. So like, we don't drink either. And we, you know, like, so we, you know, a lot of Western values are shocking to my parents and my dad had to, and my mom had to just push through that and just deal with it but you dealt with it and you pushed through it so that I could be a comedian so that I could have the the luxury and the privilege and I understand that this is a privilege you know my cousins in Pakistan don't get to do this you know what I mean like so but but you know you gave us the privilege of being able to decide you know what I'm going to be a creative who makes people laugh while at the same time challenges societal norms um, and what an amazing, you know, gift and blessing that is to be able to do that. Um, yeah, absolutely. But it's really um, hard to say that to a to a uh, a forty year old Iranian man when you're a sixteen year old kid who's like, oh, I I want to do jokes, and he's like, worked seven days a week for eight years of his life, and now his son's like, I want to do jokes. It's you know, you can understand why he loses his mind. Absolutely, no, I totally, totally understand. I think. Like, thank you so much for sharing that because I think people don't really understand what it's like. I know, like, people, we're talking up more and we're sharing our stories, but I feel like our parents' stories aren't really well understood um, by others. And, you know, there are so many times where I would, you know, 
oh, I feel so ashamed saying this, but I'll, you know, complain to my um, friends about my parents and like all my Pākehā yeah. friends would be like, well, it's your life. And like your yeah. parents are like oppressors and they're horrible people yeah. for doing yeah. what they're doing to you. Yeah. And I'm yeah. like, yeah. no, like you don't understand all the the stuff that you just explained about. It's yeah. actually very scary and they're very brave, yeah. courageous people and, and have given us a gift that there's like, no matter how successful we become there's Mm. actually no way that we could ever repay them for the privilege and the blessings that our parents have given us and so they're going to get they're going to lose their mind about you know me marrying a non-Somali and you becoming a comedian give them the gift of time because they will see what you see but you just need to give them the gift of time the 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 other gift that you can give them is if you are going to do if you are going to tread a path that is not a path that they would prefer if you are going to do something a little bit different not taking it for granted and actually doing it to the best and fullest of your ability is the biggest gift you can give to them you know like Mm -hmm. not not taking this you know this opportunity to be a comedian lightly and actually giving it your all and actually trying to get as good as you can in this craft so that so that the opportunity that your parents gave you is not wasted you know um there's 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 millions of kids in pakistan who wish that they weren't you know in 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 the situation that they are or iran you know there's there's still baha'i kids in iran who are you know struggling under this extremist regime who wish they weren't in iran and you're out here fumbling the bag you know like you can't do that. You you gotta understand the privilege that you have and grind and cry and 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 really care about whatever you do. You know, Absolutely. whatever that may be. It doesn't have to be an an art form. It can be whatever. Even if you're uh, a pharmacist, Na- you know, nailing being a pharmacist, being the best pharmacist you could possibly be. I'm so glad this is being recorded. I'm like low key tempted to make this my like alarm in the morning. I'm like, yeah, yeah I'm gonna wake up and grind yeah. away. Yeah. Um, but you're so right. Um, you're so right. There are so many gifts that we can give to our parents. And speaking of um, your family and your parents, yeah. you play um, the the father role in your show, Raised by Refugees. Yes. Which, how was that experience for you? Like, did you like, yeah, I'm going to channel my dad or like, <laughs> what yeah, was that totally. experience yeah, like? Yeah, yeah. It was crazy. It was a crazy experience. I had to, yeah, really like figure out like you know really figure out how to channel my dad and how to not only my dad but just figure out how to channel the experience of so many people you know so many refugee dads and and kids who have refugee dads like I had to try and be true to my dad's experience and portray my dad as truly as possible while at the same time encapsulating many other experiences so like I think that was the challenge that was the real challenge was like making people feel seen and and delivering a performance where people felt like their experience was being shared as well not only mine because the story was about my life growing up but not only mine but theirs theirs as well you know and I think you have done a fantastic job of doing that like I really wish there was a show like yours when I was younger because when you're really young you're so impressionable and I think if I watched a show like yours not only would I have laughed my my ass off I also would have just felt reassured in who I am that would have been really grounding for me to watch and so yeah watching it 
now like yeah. how I am now at this yeah. age it was yeah. yeah it was so special um yeah. and I'd love to hear from you like when you were kind of collecting these experiences and collecting these stories and weaving it into raised by refugees yeah um, what insights did you get from that was it like did you rethink oh like I actually did go through that and that was and this is how it affected me or like mm. yeah did you have were you able to like reflect um on your own journey and experience and did it bring up anything for you the, one of the really key things that I took away from the experience of creating Re- Raised by Refugees was a deeper insight into what my parents went through. Um, mm. Because, you know, like I am, um, you know, growing up as a as a brown kid in New Zealand, a lot of the time you don't really stop and take the time to reflect on what's happening in your parents' life. Um, and that's not your fault. Like you're young, you, you know, you're just trying to figure out how to operate in school and like, you know, you just... You're just trying to get through, and, and that's okay. Like there are, brown kids shouldn't feel a, a, an immense sense of guilt, but um, as an adult, it kind of gave me the time to really think back and go, "What did happen with my parents? Like, what were they doing at this time? What were they thinking about?" Um, and and that was a really really interesting insight into their life at that time, and and reminded me of the stuff they had to push through and figure out to make my life easier. So that I didn't have to think about it, you know. At the end of the day, that's all you're trying to do is, is create an environment where your kids can just be kids and can grow and thrive and learn and develop, you know. Um, and that's all my parents were trying to do. Um, and they did a good job, like, you know, something that that you know I'm saying I reflected on my parents' life. Something that I've kind of taken away is they did such a good job of making sure that I got to just be a kid. And not have to think about the fact that you know my dad might be struggling financially, or my my mum's mother died, or you know I didn't really even think about this stuff until now, which is crazy to think, but also makes sense. It, it's crazy to think, but also it's like ah, oh, it, it's an indication that my parents kind of did the best they could and did pretty well. Mm, I, I'm nodding my head because everything that you're saying it just really resonates. Like even. Yeah. To this day, my my parents will still hold on to that. We've got to protect them, even though yes. we've crossed this line of childhood. And yeah, you know, I'm an adult now, and I know that life is is hard and it's ugly and all yeah. these other things. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. they still try to protect me. Like recently, um, you know, my uncle passed away, and yes. my mom like didn't tell any of us in for New Zealand? such a long time. Uh, no, he's um overseas overseas yeah. back home in the motherland yeah, 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 um yeah. but she didn't tell us for such a long time right and the only reason we've we found out is just yeah. it was like a logistical thing like I think honestly right. if that right. thing didn't happen she yeah. wouldn't have told us and I can't remember what it was but it was like a small logistical thing and, yeah, it, and then yeah, it just yeah, happened yeah, yeah. to come up and yeah. I'm like why are you protecting so us like cl- this? Yeah, yeah, it's such a classic situation, eh? Like, it, it only comes up because of this other thing that has a domino effect, and they're like, oh, okay. But you're like, this is a thing you should have told us. We're adults. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. My goodness. Have you um fed that back to your parents, like, since recording the show? Have you been like, hey, like, actually? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've had conversations with my parents about, you know, it's really interesting. As I get older my parents start to become more and more open with these things but it takes time you know like it takes you know what it takes it takes them seeing 
seen me doing the things that they did to then start to open up. You know, now they've seen me as a dad. They see me, you know, grinding it out in my job. They see me, you know, like starting to think about like paying rates because I own a house and like all these things that they worried about. When they see me worrying about it, they go, oh, okay, you know, he's becoming someone maybe we can we can open up with and like talk about certain things with. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, that takes a long time and it takes a lot of um, courage on their part. You know, my dad recently, it, it was shocking to me, but my dad recently, you know, was like, you know, maybe I didn't spend enough time with you when you were younger. Maybe I worked too much. And I, you know, that's a crazy thing to hear your immigrant dad say, but like, yeah. he said it and it, I was shocked, but you know, it's, it's that as I get older, they're starting to become a little bit softer. So the conversations are starting to open up a little bit more, which is really interesting and, and refreshing. That is, that's really beautiful. Like for you, for your parents, like it's just a big win for everyone to have yeah, like yeah. that softness and that vulnerability and yeah, yeah, um, to yeah, get to yeah. know each other on another level like that. Yeah, so totally. I'm so glad that that's happening for yeah. you and your parents. That's really special. Um, speaking of your family, when you first introduce yourself, the first thing that yes. you said is I'm a father, which is yes. That is so special. Um, and, you know, going through what... Well, no, the first thing I said was I'm 31, which is a real indication of my insecurities. Oh. But anyway, please continue. <laughs> Sorry, that is true. You did say that. Yeah. And then you're yeah. like, oh, wait, and then I'm a father. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but when it comes to raising, because you've got girls, haven't you? Yes, yes, When I it do. comes to raising your girls, what is it that you want to teach them when it comes to being grounded in who they are and like what do you like want them to really carry with them for the rest of their lives oh my gosh now that I said that out loud I'm like that's a really big question essentially what is your parenting philosophy but (laughs) what would you want them to know yeah um that is a really big question (laughs) um (laughs) what yeah I don't know what is my parenting philosophy a lot of my parenting philosophy comes from are, are you religious are you practicing yes yes I'm yeah. not a perfect Muslim I will 100% say I'm not a perfect yeah. Muslim yeah yeah and um, I'm not a yes, perfect it's really, either. it's really important to me yeah yeah so I you could probably relate to this that a lot of my parenting philosophy comes from the teachings of my faith um and kind of acts as a little bit of like a a, a guide as to um how how I want to raise my children in the direction I want to you know um kind of point my children in um but also my my parenting philosophy you know is also very rooted in forgetting self and trying to be selfless um because something that I've learned through my faith and also through the example of others who maybe are Baha'is or aren't Baha'is it's and it's irrelevant to some degree, um, but this I this something that I've taken away from a lot of people is this idea of of selflessness being the key to. It sounds really corny when I say it, but selflessness being the key. I to love happiness. the cheese. Bring yeah, it yeah, to yeah. Me. <laughs> selflessness being the key to happiness is something that I've really latched onto because, um. I think a lot of the issues that we deal with in society that are societal, but also personal issues that we deal with, a lot of the time derive from this over-infatuation and over-commitment to self. Um, and something that I've realized is, is that the less importance we put on self, and I don't mean that in, in, in terms of like 
not looking after yourself or what I mean is, is, is putting aside the ego and ironically putting aside the ego and focusing on assisting others and being of service to others actually is so therapeutic and helpful for self-health for, 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 for individual health, like forgetting yourself and putting your effort into other people's troubles in life and, 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 assisting other people actually heals you more than anything you could do for yourself um so that's what i hope my children take away is is this idea of service and this idea of like even the job that you do like you do the job that you do with the idea that that at the end of the day you're doing it to be of service to others you know if you do the job that you do in a spirit of service then the job that you do will be far more meaningful than it ever could be um whatever that may be anything it could be anything um, um, but that's a hard lesson to, to try and teach your children. And that's a hard philosophy to try and teach your children, especially when we live in such a self-centered society and so much of, of, especially our Western construct, you know, so much of what we see and what we absorb, uh, people being concerned with self. So it's a, up, it's a upstream battle. Um, but, but that's the, that's the, that's the battle in the direction I, I hope my children go your little humans are going to grow up and be so fantastic. I hope so. <laughs> they're going to be so fantastic. And you're so or right. Or they're horrible people and that's okay too. I'll still love them. <laughs> no one else has to love them. If everyone thinks they're an asshole, that's okay. I'll love them for, for everyone else. But we'll see. I hope they're, I hope they're great. They they're will great be. right now. So if this continues, they will be great. <laughs> yeah, just keep up the work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Oh, you're so yeah. You're so right about how in in the Western world, the, the idea of selflessness it's really hard to practice. Yes, um, really, really hard to practice. And I think that's one of the things that like my parents really struggled with, especially coming to New Zealand. I think that was part yeah. of their culture shock. They're like, yes, whoa, um, such a limited but, idea and 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 diluted idea of community. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I think I've always kind of struggled with that tension between like living my life, but then also yes. living for the community. Yeah. Um, but community is so, so important. And selflessness just goes right along with that. Yeah. I wish I could honestly keep talking to you forever. You are the most insightful 31-year-old comedian I've ever met. That's um, very kind of <laughs> but unfortunately we are running out of time and I want to yes. wrap up with this one last question so let's say hypothetically yeah that you are in charge of the country um you have the same powers as auntie Cindy and yeah. you can make any change to Aotearoa to make it a more empathetic and inclusive uh country yes what would that one thing be and it can be physical it can be cultural whatever but what would Pax's one thing be uh, everyone gets free hair removal because I feel like a lot of the anger that society feels is that, you know, like we're all too hairy. And if we could all just get free hair removal, then we'd all be smoother and, and, and um, happier. I mean, as a brown hairy girl, yeah. I can, I can yeah, back yeah, that yeah. up. Yeah. No, I'm kidding. Um, um, what would I do? That's a really interesting question. I think what I would do if I could change one, it has to be one thing. Yeah, your one thing. You know, it just shows how important it is. Like, if you there's a house fire, you got to pick that one thing that you're you're yeah. saving. What is that one yeah. thing? <laughs> I would. 
I know, I know, I know I'm going to say this and people are going to be like, oh, it's not that easy. You know, there's a lot of moving parts and blah, 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 blah. I understand that. Like, I get it. It's not that easy. Um, but what I would do is I would make the working week four days a week and we finish work at 3.30. Oh, my goodness. Because yes. I think I think something that's that has a huge implication on society is the fact that people don't have time to just paint if they want to or to just read books and learn about the world more if they want to we're all kind of we're all kind of bogged down by this like hustle culture and I know I just spoke a lot about like grinding and hustling and 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 growing and working at your craft and I still stand by that but I think the balance is off and I think I would I would allow people to have more time to just do things that that feed the soul. Spend time with your family. Like people don't have a lot of time to spend with their family these days, you know. Um, and I think that's what I would do. We are so time poor, and if yeah. we had time given back to us, I think the world would honestly change. So, yeah. That, yeah, I love that one thing. I love that one thing. Thank you so much, Pax. No, it's you're, my fantastic. Thank <laughs> you. you're fantastic. No, you are fantastic. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you for tuning into that episode with Pax. Um, I hope you really, really enjoyed it and took away some golden nuggets. I, yeah, I loved recording with him, and that conversation was so nourishing. And there were so many things that resonated with me. I think um, just. A few things that really stuck, stood out was A, using comedy as a tool for social justice. Um, I think when we think about the arts and we think about our creative side, I don't think we often realise, or as a society I'm speaking generally now, but I feel like we don't um, speak to how valuable it is. I feel like we monetize things and we you know it's only worth it if it's going to enhance or if it's going if it can be profitable if it can like it comes with all of these conditions and I think that's when art is only seen as as a tool or as as valuable but it actually does just directly speak to our our humanity and it does break down those barriers and I think for myself it was really cool to hear Pax kind of speak to this using comedy as a tool for social justice because I think when, like, and this is in my personal life, when I do get into these conversations, I think sometimes I can be a bit hot-headed and I can just come in hard with the facts and, you know, especially if it's something that I feel so deeply, I just go in. I just sometimes I can absolutely go in and I'm working on that I really am and I'm trying to be more um compassionate but um yeah I mean I'm not going to all of a sudden use comedy because I'm not funny (laughs) it's just not who I am but I think if I can bring that lightness and invite you know people to have these kind of conversations in another way I definitely will um And the next thing that really stood out to me, especially as a 
you know, first generation, the child of a first generation migrant was just the value of that hard work and really honing in on your craft. Like I know there's, you know, like typical ethnic parents, like you can only be like a doctor or a lawyer or engineer or something like that. But the way that Pax really brought it home, it's like, you know, you choose whatever you want to do. You hone in whatever you want to hone into, but just make sure you're passionate about it and work hard on that and work on being the the best of the best. And I think he really framed it in a positive way because I think, like, growing up, you are mindful of that. And I think in general... Um, if you're part of a, you know, minority group in whatever way or form that may be, you are mindful of how you show up. You are mindful that you have to work, you know, twice as hard, that you have to be, you know, twice as nice and all of these sorts of things. Like you want to be a hard worker. You want to be seen as approachable, blah, blah, blah. You are very mindful of these things. Um, and sometimes that is like a negative weight to carry, but the way that, Pax really phrased it I'm like you know what that that is really true because once we do you know kind of rise to the top and then you can help change things around you can um, bring the voice and the perspective when it comes to really big decisions like policy and funding and all these other types of things so um yeah it was just a very a positive reframe on that negative pressure that we normally carry with us so I was really appreciative of that and the last thing that I just really took away from that corridor for me was I just really I want to hug my parents and and just love on them more and more um you know I think through the pack the conversation that I just had with packs it kind of peels that um layer and reveals the emotional side of the migrant experience but from the perspective you know of our parents which is a perspective that I don't think that is well understood or spoken about enough and um you know and there probably will be things that I'll never understand about you know personally my parents experience and or maybe there will be some things that I don't understand until you know Arthur and I have kids for ourselves but um yeah through that conversation with Pax it just really revealed that side and and also like extending it to just the aroha that we give to migrants in general like we really really need to work on that um it's we yeah migrants are not appreciated enough and uh, enclosed in these boxes and labels so much so to the point where they aren't humanized and this emotional side that came through with the corridor with the packs I wish that was understood a lot more and spoken about um, and acknowledged but anyways thank you so much for tuning into this episode and I'll catch you for the next one kia ora Thank you for tuning in into another episode of Headscarfs and Good Yarns. To keep spinning the yarns, let us know your thoughts. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Headscarfs and Good Yarns or email us at headscarfsandgoodyarn at gmail.com. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.